Greetings and welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you from beautiful downtown Sunderland at 7 p.m. on Monday, September 12th, 2022. It's already starting to get dark outside and reminding me why I absolutely hate this time of year. Uh, The day today was beautiful, but tomorrow it's supposed to kind of be crappy. And my shoulder has been bothering me all day, so I'm pretty convinced it is going to rain. Even though I think my shoulder is a better weather forecaster than most of the professionals who get paid to do it. Um, But anyway, before we get started with tonight's subject, which is going to be a bit briefer, um, a bit briefer discussion than some of the other ones I've had, simply because the amount of information out there about it is there's not very much... um, information on the conservation front but I wanted to first tell you about this amazing book that anybody who is interested in endangered species would absolutely love I'm convinced Um, it's a book the title is extinction our fragile relationship with life on earth and it's by Mark Schlossman and it's M-A-R-C not Mark with a K and it is a beautiful compendium of Uh, different endangered species. It basically covers all the categories, uh, amphibians and reptiles, birds, fish, insects, invertebrates, and botany, and mammals, of course. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, Mr. Schlossman is a professional photographer. Um, He started out, he grew up in Chicago, and he started out with a bachelor's a bachelor's degree in wildlife biology from the University of Maine um, and after he uh, graduated he worked installing fossil specimens at the University of Iowa's Museum of Natural History and then at the same time that's when his love of photography um, took hold and he eventually became a fossil specimen photographer and this book was born from that love of biology Um, and the photographs are just amazing but they're so stunningly sad to look at these creatures and see the bones and the fossils that are in the museum I think just seeing the photographs really has hit home to me about just how fragile life is. I mean, the the pictures are just incredible. And to think that they were once animals or insects or fish, it gives you a moment of pause. And I think any of you out there who are really interested in this subject would find this book fascinating. It was just recently published. I actually saw it on Amazon back a few months ago and pre-ordered it, and it came last week. And it's just something to see. If you're really serious about learning about endangered species, I think you would love this book. Um, If you follow my Instagram account, it's Sisler Jenny, S-I-S-L-E-R-J-E-N-N-I-E, all lowercase. I have a picture of the book that I posted a couple of days ago, um, if you just want to see the cover and see what it looks like so you can order it. But it's, 
it's an expensive book. It's $45, but it is impressive. It reminds me of when National Geographic did the photo arc of the endangered species, which is another book that I want to get. It's, it's that kind of book in scope. I mean, it's definitely like a coffee table book, but the information is just fascinating in a sad sort of way. So that being said, tonight's subject is the Atlantic halibut. And I was talking to my husband last night uh, when he got home from work. We were talking about the podcast and what I was, he was wondering what subject I was going to talk about. And when I told him the Atlantic halibut, he's like, how did you land on that subject? Well, I just took the book, opened it, and that was the page I opened it to. Uh, not a very uh, scientific way of doing things, but I was fascinated by the thought that something that, like, I've heard of and seen on menus since I can remember starting to eat fish myself um, that it could be endangered. Now um, the Atlantic halibut is a flatfish. It's like a flounder um, except it can get much bigger than flounder. Um, the It could get up to 15 feet long and almost 700 pounds. And I just can't even comprehend a fish that big. Now, because it's a flat fish, you would never catch this. This isn't something like a recreational fisher fisher person would go out and catch on a deep sea fishing expedition. They're flat fish, so the way they're harvested is they're trawled. You know, the bottom, the dredging of the bottom of the seafloor with nets which is very bad for the environment, for the ocean environment anyway, because it disturbs coral and it disturbs other um, seafloor dwelling creatures. And it's just, it's kind of a bad idea, but that's the only way you can harvest them since they're flatfish. But believe it or not, the fishing methods are not what has endangered the fish. It's just the fact that we love to eat it. Um, but I'm digressing for a moment. Let me just tell you a little more about the, the fish, the Atlantic halibut. Um, the oldest one ever caught was believed to be 50 years old and I read that and I'm like well how the heck would you know how old a fish is I mean it's not like a horse you can look at their teeth and approximate how old they are or you know you can you just know with certain creatures how old they are how can you tell with the fish well they have a bone in their ear that has rings almost like a tree. So you can count the rings in this particular bone in their inner ear and tell how old they were. And the oldest Atlantic halibut on record was was 50 years old. Um, and it's believed they lived, between, they lived between 40 and 60 years in the wild. Um, and they live between 160 and 6,500 feet below the surface. And the one big drawback for the Atlantic halibut is that they reach their sexual maturity very slowly. Um, males are seven to eight years old before they're ready to mate. And the females are even older than that. Uh, they're not ready to spawn until about 10 or 11 years old. So you can see where that creates the problem if they're very slow to become sexually active and yet we keep eating them, naturally overconsumption and overfishing is what's endangered them. Um, they primarily, primarily eat cod and haddock. They are found in um, 
the North Atlantic uh, from Boston up to Maine and Canada and Newfoundland around that way and then it, off the coast of the UK and in Scandinavia that's their range and they um, they do have a few natural predators uh, seals dogfish and the Greenland shark however the biggest predator is humans as it is with most with most uh, endangered species uh, they spawn once a year between April and September and once the baby fish grow an inch long their left eye migrates to the right side of their head and they float on currents until they just find a place to settle into the sediment and they generally don't really move around a lot they can if they want to or if they have to but primarily once they find their place on the ocean floor they stay there they let the food come to them you know they don't really go out in search of food they let their uh, prey come to them and that's it so um, some countries have started practicing aquaculture and farming um, Atlantic halibut so that they can keep it in the stores and keep uh, consumers happy but at the same time protect the wild stock of Atlantic halibut um, and I've been reading a little bit about aquaculture which could be its own podcast honestly um, because it's such a broad topic but it basically refers to the commercial farming of fish and seaweed and it I'm not sure how I feel about it honestly it's a very good it's got a very good intentions but I think right now it kind of creates more problems than it's worth because you can have large-scale die-offs from disease because if you think about it like putting a it, it was it's kind of like a fish farm would kind of be like a nursing home during COVID the more you put the more fish you put in a confined space if one of them gets sick it's going to spread like wildfire and so it's very difficult to farm fish for that reason and it just the, the good the pro about aquaculture is that it leaves wild stock alone so you're constantly breeding from the stock you already have and you can just give the wild fish a little bit of a break um, that is something that is picking up more in uh, fishing circles these days um, and you know I hope it does help the Atlantic halibut recover um, I primarily eat tilapia and whitefish like that I like haddock I like tilapia I've never had halibut I don't think now most of the halibut that is sold here in the United States is Pacific halibut which it's not in any danger of any kind it's it's much uh, much more responsive to repopulating the species so to speak and as of yet has not been overfished uh, so there is that solution as well um, and countries like Sweden and Norway have banned the fishing of wild halibut during their spawning season so there are small steps that are being taken I think we just have to be careful that we're not risking making things worse for the halibut by practicing aquaculture um, if you if you just do like I did and you just google aquaculture uh, aquaculture pros and cons you'll find lists that 
you know, it can pretty much go either way. Um, right now, I think the cons probably outweigh the pros as far as just not necessarily being a completely sustainable way to harvest fish. Um, and hopefully that's wrong, and hopefully uh, aquaculture will become a sustainable alternative uh, fishing practice in the future. But for right now, we just need to be, and this goes in general for any kind of seafood, really, we just need to be aware of what we're eating, where it comes from, and how it was caught. Um, and I think if we make ourselves more if we make ourselves more aware of where our fish and seafood come from and demand that fisheries practice uh, ethical fishing, you know, don't dredge the bottom and tear the bottom of the ocean floor up, you know, don't fish during spawning season, uh, let the fish alone to do their thing, um, then I think that we will be able to make strides in protecting the aquatic life.